No, you are not listening to the Vivaldi Show Classical Music Podcast. It's still me. I'm Richard Berkison, and this is Grassroots, the Minor Hockey Show. Antonio Vivaldi was 42 years old when he wrote The Four Seasons in 1720. For perspective, he was a year younger than Boston's Captain Zdeno Chara is right now. Aside from being a Baroque composer and virtuoso violinist, Vivaldi was also a Catholic priest. And no matter how deep my research, I could find nothing that suggested he could skate. In fact, there's nothing at all in his biography that has anything remotely to do with hockey, let alone the teaching of checking. Yet, I've chosen to call this episode The Four Seasons of Teaching Checking. Why? Vivaldi's most famous work was the four violin and string concertos called The Four Seasons. Given the times we're living in, and that this episode has four segments, it struck me as an interesting way to introduce each segment. Besides, there's no hockey player I know of who's had an internet browser named for him. Vivaldi does. And so, the four seasons of teaching checking begins with spring. In June of 2011, talk in the hockey world was about the Boston Bruins winning the Stanley Cup, their first in 39 years. Meanwhile, the governing body of youth hockey in the United States voted to ban body checking in peewee and under. It was far from the first such body to do it. Various European countries, like Finland and Slovakia, hadn't had body checking at its younger levels for years. But the research on injuries was just too compelling to ignore. Plus, there was the not-so-trivial matter of coaches using body checking as an intimidation tactic, choosing larger 11- and 12-year-olds to employ their bodies as battering rams. The Americans were losing kids. Injury was one obvious reason, but in order to retain numbers and hopefully grow the game, it was a tough selling point to get people to forego other sports so that their children could be hammered on a hockey rink. It took Hockey Canada another two years to reach the same conclusion, announcing in May of 2013 that there would be no more body checking below Bantam. Some jurisdictions, like Quebec, had already decided it. Still, there was quite a backlash. You couldn't swing a stick in any direction without hearing people lambaste the decision. Don Cherry, perhaps you remember him, warned that Hockey Canada would live to, reg to regret it. It would be the end of the game as we know it, he offered. In a 2014 interview with the Toronto Star, Cherry said this after watching clips of Brendan Gallagher and Patrick Kane twisting in tight spaces to get scoring chances. I'm going to tell you why there won't be guys like that in the NHL, I would say, in five to ten years. And that's a sad thing for me to say. Cherry said. Hockey Canada had the same concerns as USA Hockey. Research on injuries was overwhelming about the scope and nature of injuries in younger kids from checking. As well, player retention and finding ways to grow the game were issues then and now. One difference between the Americans' approach and ours is that down there, hockey has to compete with three other major truly quote-unquote American team sports. Baseball, basketball, football. Up here, our best athletes 
still tended to gravitate to hockey. After all, we've long held that hockey is our game. Fiddling with it was just wrong. And removing body checking? Well, that was a fiddling around of the highest order. The Four Seasons Summer With the fiddling done, and amidst the emotional furor, our sports leaders couldn't just drop body checking without leaving some kind of direction on what to do about preparing kids for when they do have to face it. Focus groups were established for the creation of specialty clinics in a few areas. Body checking was one, and I was fortunate to be part of the initial meetings. My pal Greg Kennedy helped with the more recent iteration. There was much to be done to educate coaches and organizations. Specialty clinics were one way, embedding the teaching of body checking into coaching certification clinics was the other. It's led to the present setup. When you attend a Coach 2 or Development 1 coach clinic, portions are set aside for a module on body checking. You can also attend a separate three-hour clinic on the topic that includes far more information and will give you five PD points for your locker. All of these include off-ice and on-ice portions that take coaches through the four-step progression, the last one being the actual body checking. Somewhere along the line, however, terminology got muddled. Removing body checking was not removing body contact. They are different. Hockey is, and will always be, a contact sport. But even hockey associations and their representatives were confused. It took referees a while to get a handle on it, too. There was many a game at non-body checking levels where refs confused jostling along the boards for the puck with body checking. Coaches were upset, which made their players upset, which got the refs upset because everyone was upset with them. It was pretty upsetting for everyone. Consider this question. Hadn't Hockey Canada banned hitting below bantam? No. Hitting is in baseball. There may not be crying in baseball, but there certainly is hitting. We don't hit in hockey. Well, we do if you're in junior or pro. Just watch any telecast or speak to any coach at those levels. Sometimes it seeps down to the younger ones, too. Have you ever heard a coach of 14 or 15-year-old competitive players scream out in a game, Hit! Make the hit! How many coaches use it in the dressing room? We have to hit them every time they touch the puck. But using the word hit in minor hockey has an entirely different connotation. Great check or nice body check is perceived differently than nice hit. As well, checking is a somewhat broad term. It covers forechecking, backchecking, stick checking, angling, covering your check, and yes, body checking. In fact, telling someone to finish their check has various meanings too. How do you finish a check in contact hockey, such as in house league or any level below bantam? Is it even legal? Can you finish a check in a body checking level with minimal body contact? Is there such a thing as finishing a check using only stick checking techniques? Yes, there is. And since girls hockey has no body checking, only contact, they've managed it quite well. Well then, what are we missing? How do we go about properly teaching checking skills to all ages and levels? In fact, can we 
or should we even approach it with older advanced players like in U18 AAA or junior hockey? As coaches and teachers, we owe it to our players at every age to not leave anything to guesswork or chance. We shouldn't make assumptions. Effective teaching occurs at every level. Read about the late coach John Wooden's approach to teaching when he ran the basketball program at UCLA. His eight laws of learning were explanation, demonstration, imitation, repetition, 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 repetition. The Four Seasons Autumn Let's look at what we should be doing from almost the time kids begin the game to get them ready for that last phase of the progression. That's when they execute body checks in competitive bantam and older, safely and legally, while at the same time learning how to receive or take those checks without fear and with minimal chance of injury. A complaint I've heard so often from coaches is that kids just won't be ready for body checking when they hit minor bantam, or U14 as it's now called. They have a point, to a certain extent. I also hear a lot about not being able to solve defensive issues, such as a team's D-zone play is poor, or they're allowing far too many shots on net. How about this one? Our kids can't execute the requested forecheck system. And the best one of all? We lose most of the one-on-one battles. This is what makes hockey's fluidity so challenging to play or coach. Every minute defensive or offensive miscue can lead to a cascade of problems resulting in a scoring chance for the opposition. And it can happen with or without body checking. Not so in any other team sport. You drop a third down pass at the 10-yard line, the other team's offense comes on the field. You bobble a ground ball at shortstop, allowing a runner to get to first? That's okay, because you'll get your turn at bat soon enough. But hockey? Oh boy. Your forwards can't turn, so they can't angle. Nor can they stick check well. So, the attacker gains your zone, and you have to hope your defenseman can pivot well enough to force the puck carrier outside for a weaker shot. As it turns out, hope is not a very good plan. Those angling issues deep inside the other team's zone have led to a scoring chance in yours. Where did you, the coach, go wrong? Not did not where did the kids go wrong? What's more, when did you go wrong? Those checking clinics, drills, and videos are helpful, but there's only so much you can do in a clinic. Every team, at every level, has needs specific to them, which only the coach can and should know. The onus, then, is on the coach to determine not just what the immediate and longer-term needs are, but also how to address them. So, here's what minor hockey coaches need to do. 1. We need to teach body checking as a skill, much like we do with skating or shooting. Body checking is not a natural skill. Indeed, some kids take to it right away. Usually, these are the better skilled ones anyway. But let's not conflate eagerness and confidence with technical proficiency. We want to create effective checkers, not just brave ones. 
We also want to be aware of their surroundings to take checks properly. 2. Since it is a specific skill requiring the instruction of various techniques, coaches need to take the approach of deliberate practice. Deliberate practice is practice that focuses on tasks beyond your current level of competence and comfort. In other words, don't practice what you can already do, practice what you can't. Here's what researcher Anders Ericsson says about deliberate practice. We kind of distinguish between naive practice and deliberate practice. Naive practice is people who just play games, whether it's basketball, soccer, or somebody goes out playing a golf game. So they're just accumulating more experience. We differentiate that from when you actually pinpoint something you want to change. And once you have that specific goal of changing it, you will now engage in a practice activity that has the purpose of changing that. You have to identify something that you can actually do better and then focus the training on improving that particular aspect until you can now integrate it in your regular performance. Basically, deliberate practice in hockey means this. Let's say you want your kids to become good stick checkers. If you spend five minutes in every practice on just that skill, they will become better at it. However, if you merely touch on it a couple of times without reviewing it time and again, all they will gain is the experience in stick checking rather than improving the skill. However, coaches tend not to take that approach and for a lot of reasons. For instance, practices are sometimes few and far between. Trying to squeeze in all the needed skills and even rudimentary tactics is tough. Coaches tend to do checking-related drills, but assume the kids have the necessary tools. So a lot of valuable teaching and feedback goes by the wayside. Finally, coaches may be able to recognize an effective check or checking sequence when they see it. But do they have the know-how to break it down and properly teach it? That's quite another matter. But one point is clear. Without an approach like deliberate practice, players will not improve much at checking skills, let alone others. 3. Coaches seem to think that checking skills can't be introduced till the kids are older, say 10 or 11. This is patently false. The whole point of the four-stage progression is for them to be shown the primordial steps early, really early. Take a close look at little ones in the modified ice program trying to get the puck from each other. They swipe at the puck or knock the puck carrier's stick. It's the Neanderthal equivalent of stick checking. They're trying to check. At six, many probably can't even spell the word. Still, without any prompting or instruction, away they go. Can they be taught to do it and maintain their balance? Yes. Can they be taught how to legally lift a stick blade? Yes. Can they be taught a sweep check? Yes. Can they even be taught to skate alongside the puck carrier rather than straight at the puck carrier? Yes. Will they execute any of these skills well? Not likely. Why? Take your pick. Balance, coordination, strength, confidence, readiness, all of the above. Have you ever watched a six or seven-year-old try to write letters or numbers or manipulate scissors in cutting out a figure? A bit ugly, isn't it?
However, if we were to teach those basic balance, angling, and stick check skills early, imagine how much better they'd be after a couple of years. And when you add all the other checking components, if taught as part of deliberate practice, what do you think would happen by age 11 or 12? The Four Seasons Winter We know we must teach checking as a skill, not just a component of competitive drills. We know we must teach these skills early and properly. And we know we need the expertise to do it, not just the drill. Anyone can run kids through a drill. Coaching is teaching, drilling is neither. Teach the skill, not the drill. Rule number one, the safety of your players is your priority in practice, especially when doing any kind of checking progression. Rule number two, never forget rule number one. So, how then to go about teaching all of this? First, if you want your kids to be better without the puck and have more confidence to try to get it, you must ensure that you teach a checking technique in every practice. It may only be for a few minutes. You can even do it as a warm-up activity. Consider this easy example. You have your entire team inside one blue line, and yes, include the goalies. If the kids are younger or poorer skilled, then place pylons at the tops of the circles where a ringette line is and use the space from there to the end boards. Every child has a puck. They skate anywhere in the space trying to poke check someone's puck while protecting their own. If a kid's puck is poke checked off his stick, he must roll over on the ice once before retrieving it and continuing. In other words, it's an inclusive exercise. That in itself is an entirely other different topic. I suggest you get a copy of Terry Orlick's book, Every Kid Can Win and then buy his cooperative games books, which provide a wonderful list of inclusive activities. They're designed for a gym or field, but most are easily adapted to the rink. I've unabashedly stolen a bunch for on-ice programs. A key point about inclusive exercise, like that warm-up checking drill, is that kids are never really out. There's always an opportunity for them to rejoin a group. One reason why this is important is because it allows the kids to perform the drill many more times. Let's face it, some kids will be poke-checked and lose the puck quite quickly. If this removes them from the objective of the exercise, to both protect the puck and stick-check, then what are they gaining from it? Yes, you could make the child who loses the puck become a new checker, but that's perhaps down the road when everyone's skills and confidence are better. Now back to that warm-up. Meanwhile, the coaches are floating around the perimeter, perimeter of the group, always on the outside, and ensuring the kids are keeping their sticks on the ice, turning away from predatorial checkers, and rolling over when they lose the puck. It's a fun and easy warm-up to do, but darn hard to succeed at. Why? Because they need to protect the, their own puck and stick check at the same time. Not to mention twist and turn to get away or chase. It is, in fact deliberate practice 
of just two skills. Second, follow every pure technical checking drill with an application where they must use that technique. There is no point in teaching any skill in the game without this kind of follow-up. There is also no point in leaving it to the next practice or week. It needs to be attended to right away. Kids may be able to do the technical part of the skill in a more or less stationary situation, but how well do they do it when it needs to be applied? Plus, in any activity or drill that has a competitive component, make sure you review exactly how that checking skill they were just taught is to be applied, and then give them lots of reps to do it. Remember John Wooden's last five steps? Third, this part is especially important at older or higher levels where coaches far too often make assumptions they must not make. At no time in any drill involving checking skills, whether this includes body checking or not, should the coach allow the players to stray from what was taught, nor should they be allowed to sort of cheat on checking technique or execute something illegally. For instance, in so-called corner one-on-one battle drills, the coach must insist, and it may come through a barrage of commands, that sticks stay down, that there's no touch, touching from behind, that proper balance is maintained, but stay clear of sneaky leg movements that resemble a slew foot. It may sound like this. Sticks down, sticks down. His back is turned, don't touch, don't touch. Good stick, good poke, nice protection. Do it right and do it cleanly all the time. All the time. Bad example coming here. I once watched a junior team practice small space one versus one battles where the puck winner could get a shot. Each battle sequence went for about 15 seconds. Pretty much every check was illegal and there were plenty of ugly hooks as well. The coaches said nothing. They just wanted to see battling. Fourth, the size of the space you use for teaching checking has to get gradually larger at some point, but start small. The more space an opponent has in practice, the likelier it is the puck carrier will succeed and the checker will fail, which of course is not the idea. Your checking drills need to make your checkers better, not more frustrated. Angling drills using half a rink with kids who can't pivot or turn well to both sides will be a disaster. It's true that if you reduce the space, you increase the pace. But that doesn't really apply to teaching applications for checking. Early in the progression are skills for balance, both with and without some resistance. You need the kids to perform these in small spaces to increase the reps so that, so that they have the opportunity to improve there's deliberate practice again. Plus, from a pure teaching standpoint, keeping the space small allows the coaches easier access to the kids for more frequent feedback. Fifth, as for feedback, coaches owe it to their players to learn the key teaching points of any checking technique. They're easy to find, but just standing and watching isn't helping. Deliberate practice what again, involves directed, immediate feedback from the teacher or coach. Remember, 
the kids are learning something pretty new and challenging, and for some, pretty scary. If we use that warm-up drill mentioned earlier as an example, the feedback only needs to be minimal. That often repeated feedback coupled with the kids having so many reps at the technique will lead to improved execution of the skill. Sixth, coaches need to have a firm commitment to teaching the priority checking skills for your age group and level. You start when the kids are learning the game at age six or seven. Provide them the right skating, stick check, and angling tools for the next five or six years. Think about that. Five or six years of learning foundational checking skills, ideally using the deliberate practice approach. Then if they choose to play competitive hockey when they're 13, they have everything they need except the actual body checking pieces of the puzzle. The U14 coach then takes those kids to the last step of the progression. And every coach thereafter should also commit to reviewing the skills created before, as well as repeating and repeating the body checking ones. By the way, this applies even better to girls hockey, which has no body checking, just body contact. Those coaches have a distinct advantage in being able to review and reteach the first three progressions over many more years simply because there is no fourth one. Mind you, on the other hand, coaches of teen girls don't really have an excuse for poor defensive play if everything was done properly before. Do it right and prove Don Cherry wrong. Size should not define how well our kids play the game if and only if they are taught properly. Thanks for listening. If you have comments, drop me a line, richard at grassrootsminorhockey.com. Let's let Signore Vivaldi close out this episode with a taste of his closing allegro for Concerto Number no. 4, Winter. Thank you.